It's Wednesday, April 26th, and it's 4.09 p.m. You're listening to The Mincing Rascals. I'm John Hansen, filling in for John Williams. You can hear me Monday through Thursday at 6 p.m. on Your Money Matters on WGN Radio. I'm also over at Block Club Chicago as well and WCIU. Hey, what's up, guys? It's Brandon Pope, host of On the Block of Block Club Chicago on WCIU and host of the Making Podcast on WBEZ. New season dropping May 4th. I'm Austin Berg. I'm the vice president of marketing at the Illinois Policy Institute. I've never said my title before. I don't know why I said that. <laughs> Uh, the my you can listen to my podcast America's Talking. I'm Eric Zorn, the president and CEO of the Picayune Sentinel. I've never listed my title either. Um, and it's a weekly newsletter, and you can write to me at ericzorn at gmail dot com, and I'll put you on the list. It's free. Comes out every Thursday. Are we all expanding on our own bios because John's not here? I think we I are. Think, yeah, I think. I think it's also because in the pre-show you asked us our biggest regret, and now we're just spilling yes. details. Yeah, so make sure you check out the video. I know we tweeted on out. We got deep with all of our uh, different regrets. Uh, There's a few news stories that have been kind of percolating for a few days, and we didn't talk last week, so we can address a little about what we probably would have talked about last week, which is in reference to the mayhem the weekend before. But I want to start with the newest of the information, which was Kim Fox announcing yesterday that she will not seek uh, re-election in uh, the next year. I this is not scientific, but according, I would imagine, to the WGN radio text line, if you were to ask people their least favorite elected official in the area, it would go Kim Fox at number one and then Lori Lightfoot or J.B. Pritzker. You could probably alternate the two of them by by the week. I would argue the most vilified elected official in the city over the last few years. Eric Zorn, am I right in that characterization? And what do you is that fair? Uh, yes, you're right. No, I don't think it's fair. I, I um, The Tribune editorial on Thursday morning, which is online now, uh, talks about how the Jesse Smollett story is going to hang on uh, Kim Fox's neck on her resume, on its uh, on her legacy for a really long time, that uh, she failed to understand why that case resonated with so many people and why that hurt her reputation so badly. Um, I think in general, I, I like her approach to justice, which is that convictions don't always equal justice and that we need to focus on violent crimes. There are certainly plenty of decisions that she's made that are debatable about crimes she did, has failed to prosecute. You see headlines on those all the time. Uh, but she also has made a really robust effort in a correcting wrongful convictions from the past. She expunged something like 15,000 marijuana convictions, which I think was a a really smart thing to do. I'm also not a believer in cash bail, and she's been leading the fight against cash bail in Illinois. So I think there's a lot. she's done a lot of good things. She's done some very debatable things, and the Jesse Smollett story, as she pointed out in her speech yesterday, is going to be featured prominently in her obituary one day. Mm. Austin? I wasn't too surprised. Uh, what was really annoying to me was the people, like the professional cynics, I guess, or just uh, regular people who choose to be sourpusses about every single thing I in like, the world. I like professional like, cynics. I think that's a cynics. really great title. Yeah, yeah. Or I today the thing I've been saying is Sour Patch Kids. There's a bunch of Sour Patch Kids <laughs> saying that because it, Kim Fox is leaving and she's going to be replaced by someone worse. And that totally uh, ignores the reason why she's not running for re-election, which is that you just had a candidate who ran on a 
pretty much a single issue of being tough on crime. And that candidate got 48% of the vote in the city of Chicago. And in 2020, when Kim Fox ran uh, against Pat O'Brien, a Republican who I would not say was a strong candidate by any means for that office, she lost suburban Cook County to Pat O'Brien by around 60,000 votes, which means that in the city of Chicago, she needs a margin way more than 60,000 votes to, to be have a comfortable victory. And Brandon Johnson won the most recent mayoral election by 30,000 30, votes. Yeah. So her path to victory was very difficult. And the idea that you have someone who is more ideologically extreme than Kim Fox running for the state's attorney's office, who somehow has a path to victory. Some people are even saying Lori Lightfoot. Like, I, I don't know what planet they're living on. This this is someone who uh, was absolutely uh, for now 2020. Of course, she did win re-election mm-hmm. in spite of a lot of this criticism. Right. But I really do. Th- I'd be curious about your guys' thoughts. I mean, the distance between 2020, fall of 2020, and today, uh, I think the narrative around crime has has significantly changed right. in Chicago since then. And that, that issue is totally different, as we saw in the mayoral election, with, again, someone with a tough-on-crime message winning a, a large share of the vote. So I don't think she had an easy path to victory, and that's why she is not. I think if I think if Kim Fox had ran seven months later, she might have lost because that narrative was really changing through 2020. Right. It's hard to remember. Time is a circle, whatever we all say. But, yeah, the year 2020 was George Floyd in May, the unrest at the beginning of June in the city, Kenosha as well. Uh, in 2020, and it was a hot button issue, obviously in the presidential election too. Right. And, and the ahead, nature I'll... of the sort of like the downtown, you know, mayhem, let's call it, was at least um, associated with some kind of social cause uh, in name. But you look at, you know, a story from three days ago. There were two teenagers, 14 and 17 year olds, steal a car, crash it into another car, and kill a six month year old infant or a six month old infant. Mm-hmm. And they're facing one misdemeanor count of criminal trespassing. That that kind of story um, added up over time is not going to win you re-election in this position, right? Yeah, she she is. A, I mean, she's a better campaigner than maybe you give her credit for. And I was surprised that she was able to beat uh, uh, O'Brien as as soundly as she did in in twenty twenty, and. I think that she would have done pretty well in 2024, depending on you know how the landscape goes with with crime, uh, and who she ran against. You yeah. can't beat somebody with nobody, and if and if the Republicans put up somebody who was uh, you know a little bit too MAGA, that might have made a difference. I mean, look look at Paul Vallis, uh, his whole his whole MAGA aspect i think was what did it in in uh, chicago really so, quickly before so you go I, on eric i gotta ask and allison you probably know the answer to this if she had ran in 2024 is the cook county system a primary democrat republican system so it's not yes. like a cat or a, yes. a runner like the mayor okay keep on going yes. sorry yeah no i, I mean and she, she beat uh, bill conway pretty handily in the primary also so you know she's a good parenting. She would have a lot of union muscle. She would have had a lot of organization muscle behind her. I don't, I'm not sure that's it. I think it may have just been that after two years, it seems like a really crummy job yes. being the Cook County State's Attorney. Like every every horrible thing that happens, you get blamed for. Every lousy decision that a judge might make, uh, you get blamed for. Every case that goes sideways, you get blamed for. And and then you've got this restive police department and these prosecutors under you. Yeah. 
I don't. I don't know why anyone would want the job, really. But I but, would. Uh, of course, I, I I say that about a lot of uh, a lot of elected offices. But but um, this one in particular seems like a really thankless, really difficult job. Yeah. And you know, if the statistics were turning around uh, by by this time next year, I mean, the election would not be until November of twenty four. Really, I mean, I guess she faced a primary about a year from now. But but um, uh, my guess is that that. This, the, all the job, the job, the constant criticism, the kind of attention she was getting, it probably just took a toll on her. And she just said, you know what? Uh, she doesn't. She probably doesn't have a future in politics after this. What other? She's not going to yeah. run for Senate. No, 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 she no. probably just said, you know what? I'm going to go into private practice and make some better money and be done with this not, and not be the uh, subject of so much abuse all the time. I want to get Brandon Pope in on this. And Brandon, my question for you about Kim Fox is she ran on, you know, social justice and, and a lot of issues that Eric outlined at the beginning. Uh, and a, a lot of people voted for that at a time in 2016 when crime numbers were lower and whether because of her or because of national trends or because of a combination of both the pandemic, obviously the landscape has completely changed. What do you make of her legacy undoubtedly complicated brandon yeah there's no doubt it's complicated and a lot of it's going to depend on who you talk to i think kim fox's legacy um is brandon johnson i think that you don't have a brandon johnson as mayor without kim fox in 2016 and 2020 explain um well because she ushered in this wave of progressive looks at crime um, progressive looks at criminal justice policy um, at a time the Black Lives Matter movement was really at its at its boiling point um, when conversations around policing and race were really at, at, at a boiling point. She came in in this national wave and movement um, of reforming our criminal justice system um, and rode that to, to two election wins. And I I think there's reason to believe with the uh, election we just saw that she would have been okay in 2024 as well even though crime has gone up and she has made some decisions from her office that are controversial and uh some would say just bad judgment so but i think overall her le- her legacy here is she was a transformational prosecutor figure not just in chicago and cook county but in a, a national politics amongst this black lives matter wave um and so i just wonder what's next do we go back in time to a, a law and order type of candidate or do you see an, another progressive candidate uh, uh, step in there and kind of continue on that legacy? Um, but she comes from that legacy of Kamala Harris. She comes from that legacy of other people who are top legislators, black women at that, who are trying to reshape the way we look at that. And people supported it. So I'm, I'm curious what happens next in that position. I'm curious I, if people would compare her to Kamala Harris in certain policies and institutes. Well, she, I mean, she's the, more progressive than Kamala. Yeah, Harris. yeah, yeah. but that's, I see what you're saying. Sure. Yeah. But, Austin, she, I think, but Kamala Harris is someone she credits as a mentor to okay. her and a person that is why she got into what she did. So Kamala fair. Harris was progressive for the 90s and early 2000s. <laughs> okay, I don't think she her record to be progressive on that record now right but kim fox kind of rode that right like i think we have to say i think i think people unfairly kind of look at the records of politicians from the 90s and 2000s and say bad 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 when it's like it was a different time and the way that a kamala harris had to be a prosecutor in the 90s and 2000s is way different than how a kim fox can and having a kamala harris there and take those punches kind of early kind of gave way to what a kim fox can do is, is what i said yeah also, the connection to Brand, the connection to Brandon Johnson is really interesting, and something not a lot of people 
wrote about or have recognized is the fact that the Chicago Teachers Union in its hundred plus year history had never endorsed any candidate for the Cook County state's attorney until 2016 when they endorsed Kim Fox. And that was in line with sort of their evolution from a service union that is meant to serve members to an organizing, highly political, ideological union. And Kim Fox was really one of the turning points there, uh, as Brandon said. And they, of course, backed her again in in 2020. So that is a CTU-dominated seat. Of course, Tony Preckwinkle often gets a lot of credit for sort of being the one to put Kim Fox in that position. But CTU is a big part of it, and it's going to be interesting to see who they back uh, as her successor. I got a rapid fire I want answers for on this. Should we elect state's attorneys in Illinois? It's a, it's a, it's not mandated by the Constitution. Some states do. Some states don't. I feel the same way about Supreme Court justices. It's a real weird thing. We give prosecutors a lo- and state's attorneys a lot of wiggle room. They have to be accountable to voters which could influence perhaps their decisions that may or may not be better for the justice system of the city that and county they 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 serve. Eric Zorn, yes or no? Yes. Yes. Austin? We should or shouldn't elect them? Yeah. Is that the question? Yeah. Man, what in places where they're appointed, is that state legislature, is it mayor? Like do you guys know who's appointing them? I don't know. I know that Maybe it's the a state, state Supreme law Court that chooses it, but I don't know how the state law chooses whether they are appointed or not, but I don't know how the mechanism goes from there. I should look into that. I'm I'm agnostic, especially in Illinois. I feel like uh it's pretty easy to Hide the, it's it's also odd that it's uh, partisan. Mm-hmm. I would consider having it be a nonpartisan election, like a mayor that jumble would... race. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Brandon, he said rapid fire. Austin, dang. Sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> that so was fire. rapid for Austin. That's rapid. For, actually, that's rapid for all of us. I'm not throwing Austin under the bus. Very, very fair. Very fair. I'm going to say yes. Okay, I think it makes sense. I've never thought, given much thought to it, but yes. Yeah, I just, I, I just and I would. I would I would add that there are certainly offices that I think should not be elected offices like city clerks, county clerks, those and clerks of the court, those kind of things. I, those should be appointed. Uh, I think treasurers should probably and comptrollers and so on should probably be appointed as well, part of a gubernatorial administration. Yeah, but, but there's there's so much politics that goes into uh, you know political pressures, political ramifications. That I think that that it does pay to have that direct accountability to the, to the electorate when it comes to prosecuting attorneys. Okay, let's pivot here. Brandon Johnson uh, will take office here in the middle of the next month, which is coming up here pretty quickly. And uh, we obviously had the the mayhem. Although even using that word has spurred whether we can call it mayhem or not. What happened downtown the previous weekend uh, with the uh, gathering of a lot of people downtown, young people, and it spurred this debate about do young people have enough to do or not. Uh, Brandon Johnson had a very lukewarm comment. I know we're going back a week now, but just kind of looking forward, two and a half weeks or so till he takes office. Memorial Day weekend will come soon after that. A couple weeks after that, NASCAR closures begin and NASCAR begins. It's a summer, could be a hot summer in Chicago. Brandon Pope, is Brandon Johnson ready? Is that even a fair question to ask? Could anyone be ready? Your thoughts. Oof. <laughs> what a doozy of a question, John. Andrew. Yeah, I'm trying to change um, it up here. John Williams likes to let you choose the questions here. I, I'm bringing some order to this show here. We did like a lightning so I, round, Brandon. Yeah, I, exactly. <laughs> so I can't really no. give a solid answer on whether he is ready. Okay. But, but what I can 
say is I believe we hold mayors to a really weird standard um, as if they could actually be in the streets and and do anything physically about any of the stuff that happens. Um, I think we have to look at what his crime strategy is going to be. There obviously needs to be some sort of police presence. Um, and I'm, I'll be honest, I think that statement he gave was um, not good enough, You can, especially when you compare it to the other statements that came out, like Lori Lightfoot's. I think there's a place where you can both hold space and empathy and sympathy for black and brown kids in Chicago with lack of opportunity, um, the mental health challenges and all of that, while still having accountability and saying, well, this is this is wrong. Yeah, <laughs> this, well, he, should not happen, he right? did both those things in the first sentence. He didn't even put a semicolon between them. It was like a comma but it's the way he did it before he pivoted. Yeah. yeah, Eric Zorn and I chopped that up when I was in for John. Yeah, the statement, I think yeah. a lot of people even I, I think if you were to ask people in his camp, they'd probably say we'd, we'd want to do over on that one. But yeah, but it, yeah. it's it, I mean, it could be a crazy, you know, I, all I'll say is we don't give mayors a lot of time to hit the ground running here and give them a wide berth to get ready for this job. I mean, I don't I know mean, if Memorial anyone Day ready. weekend. Memorial Day weekend is like the week after he's uh, inaugurated. Right. And he's got to pick a superintendent. And there's like a lot of stuff that needs to be done. They're praying for some cold soon- fronts uh, at the end of May, basically. And that seems to be the best police strategy right now. Cold front. Austin, your thoughts on uh, getting ready for our new mayor. Rain. We need a rain dance. Yeah. Um, he said so the the quote that was I, I had the biggest problem with this quote, which was sometimes they make silly decisions. They're young. Sometimes they make silly decisions. That's I think that will be on the level of Lori Lightfoot's Summer of Joy. Was that what it was called? Summer of Joy. Like it's it's Summer of Love. Really, was it or what was Summer it? of Love? Maybe yeah, I can't remember. Summer of Joy. Oh, okay. Maybe yeah. Summer of Joy. It was Summer um, of Joy. Yeah. Chicago and. It's true. He's not in office yet. He does not have the authority to be moving the chess pieces around of Chicago policing. Absolutely true. The fact is, downtown especially, is in a very precarious position right now. We're looking at, not just in Chicago, but in other big cities, like a 50% permanent downshift, perhaps, in the amount of commercial real estate and office, office rentals in the city center. That's a huge loss of economic activity. And the only way you can replace it is get a ton of tourists in there and maybe get people deciding to live in the loop again. That makes it even more critical that these things don't happen. Because if you're a big office, if you're some massive office space and you have workers coming in nine to five every day, maybe you can kind of turn a blind eye, turn turn uh, turn your head to weekend kind of shenanigans right. downtown. Cars burning, innocent people getting beat up, police having to escort tourists to their cars and to their hotels. That's really bad. And you can't you can't equivocate on that and say things like sometimes they make silly decisions. It sends a very bad message to, or at to least, all of those groups. Or at least say the people that jumped on buses and the people that burned cars made horrible decisions. People that were there gathered and didn't do anything to stop them made silly like at least explain it a little bit more who you're talking about when you say some people do silly things people got shot 
And, and he was and he was also using terms like demonization. He said, like, don't demonize our youth. And, you know, I, I reserve the right to demonize those who are behaving demonically. I don't think that, that criticizing the people who are instigating all the trouble down there is demonizing all of Chicago's youth. And I thought it was a, a, a little bit of a of a bait and switch or something on his part where he was he sort of all of a sudden wanted it to be about all black and brown youth and all kids from disadvantaged neighborhoods that we were talking about when we were de- deploring what was going on in the loop i i, I think that's unfair to everybody that's true and uh and and so the the language that he used the expressions that he used uh were ill-chosen i think you're, you're you know we're, we're in agreement on that that he probably should have just focused on the fact that we need to get a control of this that and and then you can say you can say one way we can do this is to provide more opportunities in the neighborhood. That's fair. That's fine. And that and that could well be true. I, I don't know. He said something about these kids want to be able to go to places with adult supervision and, and have fun. I'm thinking like, I don't think they want adult supervision. I certainly <laughs> didn't want adult supervision when I was, when yeah. I was a teenager. But, but they do they do want things to do. And I think and providing them and providing them with jobs and so on has certainly got to be part of this the strategy for fighting this, but you're also going to have to have police officers and other security people making sure that that kind of thing doesn't happen regularly because it could happen all summer. And if it does, Austin's exactly right. People are not going to want to move downtown. If these office buildings that are being vacated by companies are trying to be turned into condos, you can't get people to move downtown if they think, well, I can move downtown, but I got to stay locked up in my condo all weekend. That's right. not that's not going to fly. You make a great point. that there, I'll get to you in a second, Brent. I, I just yeah. will say that I do want to highlight this, and I really, it's an obvious thing to say, uh, Eric, and I appreciate you saying it, but I, I don't think a lot of people think it through. Even if there were a thousand kids downtown, I don't know if the numbers were. There, there are tens of thousands of young kids in the city that were not downtown, and I do agree that by saying we shall not demonize black and brown kids at the south and west sides, the vast majority of black, brown, white kids were at home. I don't want to, doing what kids do, right? They were not downtown. I think that's an important point to make. Brandon, go ahead, bud. Yeah, I was going to kind of along those same lines. Like even in that crowd. Not all of those a thousand kids were there to cause trouble, <laughs> you know. Like they, it just, it just trouble happened, right? And I've been a kid who's kids are stupid from the wrong time, and kids are stupid. Like that's just, that's just kind of what happens, right? So I, I, I think it's refreshing to hear from a mayor, or at least mayor elect, um, empathy and heart for black and brown kids on the west and south side. Something these kids don't hear often from top political officials um that, that's a that's a refreshing thing for sure um but there has to be some sort of line right and it's a tough it's a tough balancing act and it was an early test for him uh, i wonder how he's going to handle future tests here because yeah that statement just it wasn't going to cut it but i do think though that when he's saying don't demonize these kids i think he's speaking to the crowd on apps like next door and the, the crowd on twitter who does demonize these kids blanketly, right? Uh, usually from some some racist tropes and things like that. Um, I think that's who Brandon Johnson was speaking to. Now, should he be speaking to Twitter and next door and the, the, the loudest voices? I, I'm not sure he should. But I think that's who that statement was actually for. 
because uh, there is demonization that happens of a wide swath of kids. There's no doubt about that when these things happen. I have no doubt it happens on Twitter next door. I think what we saw in reaction to the other weekend went broader than that, though, Brandon. I think it does yeah. go to a lot of people. Agreed. Yeah, but but you're, you're making a fair point. Here was I had a conversation with Cam Buckner, who, of course, ran for mayor when I filled in for John the other morning. He wrote an op-ed in the Tribune about, you know, it takes a – takes a city to raise children and he spelled it r-a-z-e and then it takes a city to to raise r-a-i-s-e his point being that we can do things as a city that hurt our future and we need to do things instead that will build our future and cam's an interesting guy i love chatting with him uh illinois representative and i think he has a a unique you know uh, approach to things but what i ended up saying to him is i'm like look we live in this 21st century is 21st right a 21st century I, we we need numbers. We need data. When people say there aren't enough opportunities uh, for kids, I say, there aren't enough jobs. I say they couldn't find lifeguards last year. They couldn't fill any jobs. So I, we need to figure out as a city, well, how many opportunities are there? How many organizations are there? And I know they're not, are not government. They're church organizations. But we need to know how many kids go to the activities that are in Englewood, in Austin, in South Shore. Where are the gaps? Uh, no one's going to the activities in Austin, but they're going to the ones in England. I, I just we need data because all we're doing right now is like, so we need things to do, and we're gonna give them opportunities. Like, show me the numbers. Well, yeah, and I, I hear you there, but I also wonder too, like, how many of these things are there that kids actually want to do? Give me those numbers oh, too. Yeah. I, I want to see yeah, what the I'm, programs I'm are, and if zero, and if one out of twenty people signed up and showed up for the church roundtable at blah blah blah, okay, that didn't work. All right, but we don't. We 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 are speaking from a place of true naivety, especially if none of us live on the south and west sides, and some of these politicians and these people that talk about. It, we don't know what's happening there, and no one has numbers. I, and you're a numbers guy, Austin. What's What's interesting is. The lack of that, I, I understand all of the messaging about, obviously, we need to provide opportunities for young people in a city. Like, I don't know of a single person who's like, they have enough opportunities. It's cool. You Ray know, Lopez like, told me that, but go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> Keep going. So that's true. But what ends up happening when you do press on folks for specifics, it's something like we need to fully fund schools. And schools are $500 million a year underfunded. And then you look at the numbers that are being spent in CPS, and it's $28,000 a student. So what's the number? Is it Will it be fixed when it's $50,000 a student? Like, no one's actually being specific about that. I think that's a really good point. And I think the other thing about uh, some commentary about sort of the mayhem downtown was civil society and philanthropy invests tons of money in trying to address these sorts of things, I didn't see any of those groups downtown in the loop. And that's not to say that none of them are doing a good job, but that it's not serving that need. And to that point, the Chicago Police Department, I think, also deserves some level of criticism for the response, because this isn't new. In 2013, Pat Quinn signed penalty enhancements into law. There was so much pressure that a a bill co-sponsored by our current attorney general, Kwame Raoul, got to Paquin's desk that increased penalties for social media incitement of this sort of thing because of a bad weekend, an Easter weekend on the Mag Mile. That was 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. So you should have a, a, a 
our police department should be very prepared to deal with this sort of thing. And they were MIA. The Lightfoot administration was MIA on this, too. So there's a lot of blame to go around. I just want people in clipboards <laughs> canvassing around. <laughs> if we can count every human being as best we can, and we, we don't do it great with the census necessarily, but we need numbers. Give me numbers. Is it Jeb Bartley used to say that? Yeah, he used to say that. Of course, he's a I fictional character. You think the numbers are good? What are the numbers? How many or how many groups are there that offer kids opportunities on the south and west sides? Those numbers would be great. I mean, what I do know and what I hear from people that grew up here in Chicago, south and west side, is that their childhood experience and what they experienced here in Chicago, they had vast an array of opportunities, like midnight basketball, Um and like things that are cool, like things that kids want to actually do. Right. And so what I'm hearing is like none of those things exist anymore. And so what I hear many orgs say is like they want to bring those things back. So I guess the, the step here is providing the resources, the funding and things like that. So that these organizations can fill that gap. Right. And. And I'm not, and I'm not, and I'm not saying that these people are wrong when they say they don't have opportunities. I'm saying how many kids are showing up to the opportunities that are there? Okay, nobody, like you're saying, Brandon. Let's come up with another answer. Let's stop. (laughs) Let's stop doing the same thing over and over again, or just using platitudes like we need opportunities. Well, there are some. Is no one showing up? Okay, cancel it. Get the money out of there. Put it somewhere else. Eric, well, I'm sorry, question. I'm on a rant here. No, 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 rant away. No, the, the, the question to me is, you know, when you, you're talking about, okay, we're going to give 60,000 jobs, I think was Brandon Johnson's uh, promise to the city that he wants to. And the question, of course, becomes like, who's going to provide those jobs? Who's going to pay for them? Are the, are the kids job ready to, to perform in those jobs? I mean, there, there's a, a question of resource allocation and management that that austin gets to when he talks about was it you say twenty nine thousand dollars a year is that what Between they say twenty eight and thirty thousand dollars yeah all in and, and you know my, my my question with that is is what is the cause of that is that is that i don't think it's high teacher salaries i think it, it has to do with levels of bureaucracy and probably the building expenses that they have and i'm not sure where else i've never seen a, a real breakdown of where that number comes from and because you look at, at schools that are really pretty swank out in the suburbs and where i'm sure they pay their teachers very well and they don't come anywhere close to that level of spending people, so yeah. is that is, is that is that spending is that spending on special education is it special needs that they're dealing with i, I don't i don't know where that comes from but but again when you're talking about how you're going to i mean th- throw money sounds really cavalier but if, if you're going to devote resources to a, the problem like this how do you do it efficiently? And when you do the analysis of where that money goes and, and who is spending it and on what, maybe you can start to get the kind of answers that John Hansen seems to want. Yeah, boy, do I. Uh, all right, let's pivot to uh, – I think this might be our last topic. We'll see. I'm going to talk about Joe Biden announcing that he is running for re-election. I think he had probably the best answer he's had about his age today in a press conference after uh, meeting with the South Korean president. Uh, reporters asked him about his age, and he said, look, that's up to the voters to decide. They should take that seriously. I took that seriously in trying to figure out if I should run. I take it seriously. It's a number I can't even say out loud because he doesn't believe he's that old because he feels a lot younger. And it's the same thing I have for our likely Republican nominee who might be an indicted uh, candidate. At the end of the day, voters can take that under consideration and make their choice with that too. 
Do you guys think, and we talked on the show yesterday, a lot of people want an age limit. They, everyone is is really itching for one for president, but no one can tell me what that number is. No one can tell me how if it would really ever work. Is age a concern? I don't even know where to go with this one. So, Austin, react accordingly. <laughs> well, we'll see in the primary if it's a concern. What's really funny to me is if you ask Americans. Republican or Democrat primary, by the way. The Democratic primary, I think. I mean, that's why. That's why we would want to figure this out, and then the general election, obviously. Right. Like this is the point of elections. But sixty uh, percent of Americans think Trump should not run for president, including a third of Republicans. Seventy percent of Americans think Biden should not run, including fifty-one percent of Democrats. So. Our likeliest option is one that I think I think the overlap is like it's something like five percent of Americans would like to see a Biden Trump. Uh, <laughs> I want to I want to bring Which them on this podcast. Yeah, and they all work for media companies. <laughs> yeah. Right. So it's like it's so it really is depressing to me, and I I, I really hope that there is some new blood uh, on both sides to be carrying forth these ideas because. I think the most popular vote in the next presidential election will be not voting if that's if those are the candidates. Even after 66.6 percent of people turned out in 2020, the highest number since 1908, you think people are going to stay home for 2024? I don't buy that. I don't know. This is such a level of there. There is such a level of apathy, I think, around this being kind of our political discourse. But maybe I'm in a bubble. Maybe it's maybe it's a big success and everybody wants to come out and vote for that. I think I think you are. I think you are in a bubble, Austin, because I think no one brings people out to the polls either way uh, more than Donald Trump. And yeah, what was it? 51 percent, you said, of Democrats don't want Biden to run. But all of them who vote will vote for Biden rather than Trump. And and they will vote with enthusiasm for Biden, even though they it'll be enthusiastically opposed to Trump. I don't think there's going to be any primary opposition on uh, significant primary opposition in either party. I think Trump looks like he's about to clear the field. And I don't think any serious Democrats are going to challenge Biden right now. You're not going to see what we saw in 1980 when um, uh, Jim Carter was challenged by Ted Kennedy. Uh, I just don't I don't see a serious Democrat rising up to challenge uh, to challenge Biden at all. Like Bernie Sanders endorsed Biden the other day. So it's it's that's that's not going to happen. Uh, you might you're going to see some you already see some Republicans who are challenging Trump. But all he has to do is come away with a plurality in those primaries. And he's got that locked up. It looks it looks to me. I don't think there's going to be a serious primary challenge on either side. We're going to have two really old white guys running against each other for president. That's yeah. that's, what we got, that's what we have to look forward to. One interesting number I, I just want to throw out there is that. You know, a couple months ago, we were looking at Ron DeSantis, you know, f- some national polls of Republicans, you know, 55, four, you know, f- 40. That math doesn't quite add up. But like and now it's like completely flipped. The only thing I will say is that Ron DeSantis is still holding on in that 30 percent range of Republicans. Um, it's still a little early to say no chance considering he hasn't even entered the race yet. But now I even wonder if he will because he doesn't want to be seen as he- he's been painted as this this new ad that Trump has out today showing Ron DeSantis, his DeSantis campaign ads, touting Trump, loving Trump, being all on board with Trump, showing the numbers of how Ron DeSantis was going to lose before Trump jumped in and painting Ron DeSantis as this traitor. I don't know if Ron DeSantis wants that as part of his brand. He's only 44. You'd think that maybe he thinks, well, whatever. 
Let Biden win. He'll probably beat Trump. Even if he doesn't beat Trump, Trump will be a lame duck president the moment he's inaugurated. I'll wait till I'm 48 and run again. I think that is still a possibility that people aren't talking about. Yeah. The field is going to be very interesting for 2028 because you're going to have a Sarah Huckabee Sanders as well that's going to want to uh, take on that role. Uh, yeah, the age thing is interesting because I'm kind of where Austin's at. I just as a as a voter, I'm just kind of like apathetic to the whole national what we have nationally right now. Joe Biden is old as dirt. <laughs> constant slip ups, constant gaffes. Um, you have to wonder the job of president is taxing. We see these presidents they go into office. Barack Obama had black hair when he went into the office, and after two or three years in office, that that hair turned gray. Okay. So imagine what it's going to do to a guy that's like geriatric. Like, I, what are you I'm watching? Tucker segments? Oh wait, no, you can't anymore. <laughs> Look, it's it's not to be ageist, but it's a legit uh, concern. So was- honestly, I'm more. I think, if anything, the Biden campaign's concern should be more so: Do people actually know what my administration has done <laughs> versus his age? Because right now, most Americans actually don't. Like they they don't believe like there was a poll that came out uh, I think it was February it showed sixty two percent of Americans and sixty six percent of independents believe that the Biden administration has accomplished either not very much or little or nothing. Yeah, and seventy that's a huge information gap. But most they, of the policies they, they pass, them. most of the policies they passed are super popular. But like I don't know how but much they, more they can tout know? it. I don't know how much. <laughs> People always say that. Like, what else are you going to tell? They, every day I'm getting tweets and Instagrams and reels and emails and posts about the Biden administration. I think a lot of people don't care and don't want to know. And I think that th- these are not issue-driven elections right now. Very little of this is issues-directed. I think we are personality-driven well, elections at this point. I, except I, for abortion. Some of that point, I, th- I, I can see that point except for abortion. And I think guns, too. Uh, and if, yeah. and if the, uh, you know, the, the right seems to keep... This keeps pressing on on some of these other issues like book banning and so on. Uh, I, I think this culture war stuff is not where the Republicans want to be. I think a lot of the mainstream Republicans are a little aghast at how extreme some of the the the, uh, the more hardcore anti-abortion people have been been uh, positioning the party. And uh, I think that the, those issues will play into the election. Just like I think that it's just going to be. It's one of the things like you're going to vote. For a candidate uh, who is going to stop the other candidate from doing something you don't want, and that's and that's why I think we're going to see if it's these two candidates again. I think you're going to see record turnout again, and it's going to be basically motivated by the other person on the ticket who you don't want to see win. Hmm. Yeah, people activate for Trump. There's, there's no doubt about that. So I think that's Biden's best chance of actually winning a second term is if Trump is the guy on the other side. If it's anybody else, it doesn't seem like it would be. Um, Biden's in trouble, I think. I think they're both. Don't know what he's done. <laughs> they're both. I think the only candidate that Trump might beat. Well, no, I don't want to say that. I do agree with you, Brandon, on the other side. I, I think it would be an interesting election with someone else running for the Democrats. I don't know. Um, it's just the, the way politics are now. All right, Brandon, I, I want to end with something fun here. Um, you started this debate. You didn't start this debate on Twitter, but you, you engaged in it. And I then saw it. Waffles or pancakes? Mm-hmm. Waffles or pancakes? Let's wrap with this. Austin, what are you going with? Oh, man. Come on. <laughs> Come back. I can't rapid fire this. Wait. Okay. okay sorry. You're right. You're Eric, right. Eric, you go. Austin is just think. terrible. Like, yeah, rapid fire. I, I, I got. 
That's my, my words matter. They carry weight. I don't want to be branded as if I actually think it's waffles. So waffles are more versatile because you could have them in a chicken and waffle, for example, True. which I like a lot. Um, whereas pancakes, you know, a little bit one note. There's there's very few things that you could do to a waffle that you how do I want to say this? It's like the square and rectangle thing. You can do everything you do to pancakes to waffles, but you can do stuff to waffles you can't do with pancakes. So waffles win. You're going waffles, okay? I'm I'm on I'm I'm totally on team waffle here. You because the little you can put the little uh, the little cups. You can put extra butter in there and, yeah. and hold syrup. It holds syrup better. You can have a very much more consistent flavor. Uh, and and you can also uh, it's easier to to uh, have like fruit stay on top of it correctly. And no, it's, I'm definitely uh, consistency wise everything. The waffle wins. Brandon. Well, you know, I'm a man that trusts the science, and the science says that waffles are scientifically better than pancakes because you have the receptacles for the syrup. That way, every bite has the same amount of syrup as every other bite. You don't have that with pancakes. They they absorb, right? But they don't absorb everything. you got to really douse it in syrup, whereas you know, the syrup just kind of flows around the waffle, right? You could also have a waffle cone. You could have a stroop waffle. You could have uh, chicken and waffles, as Austin mentioned. It's just—it's versatile. It's fun. It's not as sweet, which I also appreciate. It's not as bad for you, I think. Um, at least I like to think. So, I, I, yeah, wouldn't, I would not. I would say bet that, on that. Well, you just said it was a syrup <laughs> vessel, so let's uh, let's yeah. ease off that for what, a second. And, 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 uh, Cups uh, of butter built uh, into it. Yeah. Can we can we make us unanimous? <laughs> nope, you cannot. I. Oh. I probably have waffles more because of that versatility, but if you're you're asking me in the morning, what do you want? I want pancakes. I like the fluffy flavor to it. I like the way it absorbs the butter a little bit. It melts into it, and you get to the middle of that pancake. It tastes so good. Fluffy all the way. I am team pancake. Have you ever had a Korean pancake? No. Those really fluffy, thick ones? Now, those are pretty good. Okay. Those, that's a life changer. Go for that. All right. I said I would make this 45 minutes, and we hit it on the dot, everyone. 45 minutes for the Mincing Rascals. You can hear us sometimes Saturday evenings at 8 p.m. Producer Pete Zimmerman. Brett, thanks as well for engineering. Ashley, bye, Hunt as well. And um, how does John usually end this? Bye? What does he do? Later? I forget. I usually sign off by now. Thanks for joining us. We'll drop another pot on you next time. Yeah, there we go. There we go. Subscribe to the Mincing Rascals podcast on iTunes or the Google Play Music Store. You can now also follow us on Spotify, or you can keep listening online at WGNRadio.com. Radio.com.